This hour is brought to you by Menards. Save big money at Menards. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Uh, expectations are high. Uh, this is not a rebuilding situation. You know, we're expected to win baseball games. Uh, and bringing Benny on board, you know, just, uh, you know, lets everybody know that we're in, we're in this thing to uh, do some special things and play October baseball. So uh, everybody's excited and everybody uh, that I've spoken to, all, most all the players that I've spoken to are, are excited for spring training. Okay. Benny! It's Pedro Griffol. Ready for exciting things. Did you listen to Shane's interview with Pedro Griffol on his podcast? Some of it, yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, and I told Shane, because Shane was like, will you air check this? I was like, yep. I thought that Shane has done the best job of getting a real like interview. Where where Griffol felt really comfortable with him and shared and was loose, like inside of the interview. That's Did kind a good of the job. point of the bourbon, right? Well, he wasn't drinking, or at least oh. I couldn't tell if he was drinking. But bourbon with the bourbon with a buddy podcast, the Pedro Grafol bourbon and, and a buddy, or bourbon, bourbon with bourbon and a buddy, right? I think that's right. I want to make sure I get that right. I think that's what it is. But the Pedro Grafol interview is worth your time. It's very well done, and I think that it paints. I think it paints. Pedro in a really good light. It doesn't really paint Shane in a good light. A few things do. But the algorithms that predict baseball seasons are not real bullish on the win total for the White Sox. Zips over at Fangrass, run by Dan Zimborski, has them at 74 wins. Pakoda just came out. Pakoda has the Sox at 77 wins. Then maybe they're wrong. So it's a lot of people that were asking to be wrong. Joe Sheehan likes to use questions in his mailbag as a jumping off point for his annual evaluations of each team. This is on his subscription newsletter, which you really should subscribe to if you want to be if you want to to know what the baseball smart people know. So there's something here from a fan named Adam who says Zimborski's first Zips release has a White Sox at 74 and 88 with a worse next 26 roster than the Tigers and Royals. And the question is, what the F happened? This was the answer. They've done a terrible job drafting. Most of this team is actually the result of trades, plus Luis Robert, a Cuban signing. That's the next 26 problem. They have no internal depth, which is something that killed them in 2022 and could do so again. They also don't spend enough. They refuse to spend for the top guys in the game and instead end up with a lot of these two to three win players at 15 to 20 million. Jose Abreu was like that. They love him for it, but you need more than that. So then he goes in to his breakdown, the projected roster, etc. And he says the White Sox missed expectations last year for a few reasons. Their best hitters missed too much time. Tim Anderson played 79 games. Luis Robert, 98. Eloy Jimenez, 84. Key players had brutal years, including Moncada, Grandal, Giolito. Both issues exposed the White Sox' lack of depth, especially from their farm system. In the end, they just had five two-win players on the entire roster, and no team will succeed that way. The lack of depth was exposed early by injuries in March and April. They never got back on track. So I find the team's offseason puzzling, to say the least. 
The White Sox have done nothing to bolster that depth, despite a payroll one star short of the first tax threshold and a market that, when the winter started, was filled with players who could help them. Mm -hmm. The Sox swapped out Jose Abreu for Andrew Benatendi. That's exactly what they did. That's a downgrade offensively, a big upgrade defensively, getting Andrew Vaughn out of the outfield and over to first. Okay. As part of the package of improvements, it would be notable. But as their only significant transaction of the winter, it's not nearly enough. The White Sox are running back 2022, apparently counting on positive injury regression to do all the work in catching the Guardians. Mm-hmm. And he lays out the lineup. Anderson, Benatendi, Robert, Jimenez, Moncada, Vaughn, Grandal, Gavin Sheets, he puts in right, and Lenin Sosa. Whoa. That's who he has there. He says, this is the 2022 lineup. With Benatendi in for Abreu and a new second baseman, that's the lineup of which I wrote in the season preview. Once everyone returns, the Sox will again look like the best team in the division by enough to not worry. Their margin for error, though, is smaller. The injuries have underlined how thin they are. Disaster seasons can happen just like that. That's what he wrote last year in the preview. There's a bunch of guys got hurt, a bunch of guys underperformed, and a bunch of guys went home on October 3rd. I cannot understand how you watch all this happen last year and not build in some depth. There's not much internal. He says, Oscar Colas flew through the Sox system as a first year as a U.S. pro. He'll challenge Gavin Sheets for the right field job. If nothing else, he's a defensive upgrade on Sheets. He said his slash line across three levels makes me nervous. Excuse me, his strikeout-to-walk ratio. Yes. Strikeout-to-walk ratio makes me nervous about relying on him. Colson Montgomery's not ready. No one else in the system is much of a hitting prospect. Lenin Sosa's at second base, but really they need to fill the position from outside. He said, yes. He said, go get Joey Wendell from the Marlins or David Fletcher from the Angels or Nick Madrigal back from the Cubs. No, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you there, too. He's playing third now. <laughs> the bench. He is. He was taking grounders yesterday at third. We got the bench here. Enjoy he's, that. He's got Garcia Utility, Victor Reyes outfield, Hanser Alberto infield, and Sebi Zavala catcher. That's the bench. He said, Garcia is one of the worst players in baseball last year. A stunning fall for a guy who's been such a valuable bench piece. Hanser Alberto, off a two-way season for the Dodgers, will make the team as a non-roster. The White Sox have about 1,100 PAs of Josh Harrison, A.J. Pollock, and Adam Engel to fill. While most of that should come from the starters playing more, there's opportunity for Colas or for slugger Jake Berger to make an impact. At second. The rotation, Cease, Giolito, Lynn, Kopech, Clevenger. Maybe. Cease, one of the best stories of 2023, leaping into Cy Young conversation by becoming a slider monster, throwing the pitch on more than 40% of his deliveries, produced some of the best on-contact stats in baseball. I think you have to expect some regression on that front. I disagree with him on that. Okay, because he's, he's especially with the on-contact stats. It's, we're not talking, how old is Dylan Cease? What is he, 20, what is he, 26? Yeah, I think the point being that you can some of, some of the con- on contact stats you can't control. I I don't see any regression in Cease at this point, but whatevs. The flip side of Cease is Giolito, who fell back from his breakout to allow very hard contact and hard hit rates. Lance Lynn missed a couple months, as did Kopech. Cueto's comeback season patched the rotation overall. It sure did. The starting pitching wasn't why they fell short. It should be very good, especially if the team lets Kopech carry a full workload. Well. Let and and him be able to is are different stories, right? 
The Sox picked up Mike Clevenger on a one-year deal, his status in doubt, under investigation for violations of the domestic violence policy. The White Sox do not have great internal depth if they have to backfill the rotation. Davis Martin first in line. He says Michael Waka would be a fit here. Yep. He, just- he signed today. And you didn't have to sign him in November. And you, how much was was the the Michael Walker deal? Does anyone know? I'm guessing. Let me it, find that for you. It wasn't twelve million dollars. The bullpen. He's got Graveman, Bummer, Lopez, Deekman, Kelly, Ruiz, Lambert, and he throws in Nick Avila. He says Liam Hendricks, one of the best relievers in baseball, will miss at least the start of the season as he undergoes treatment. I think it's hard to evaluate the bullpen without taking into account who's running it. After the two year experiment with Tony Larusa went south, they hired Grafal. I love the hiring. The Sox are looking to find a 10-year solution and a 53-year-old with dugout experience who should have a better connection to the players than the elderly LaRusa did. But even without Hendricks, Griffal's got plenty to work with. What we have to see is whether he ties himself to a single closer with Graveman, the most likely candidate, or leverages the four, arguably six good ones he has here to get the last nine outs based on skill set, leverage, and matchups. I want Lopez. That's what he says. So I'd love to see Aaron Bummer get a full inning role and Lopez used as the fireman. There's a good bullpen here, one that Larusa never quite handled well. But he said Zimborski nailed the problem. It's not that the White Sox don't have talent. It's that they don't have enough of it. Yep. I would take their top 17 or so players over that of the Guardians or Twins. But once you get past that point, the fall-off is incredibly steep. And having spent the offseason watching the party, they need to have perfect health and every one of their top 17 meeting expectations or they'll once again be disappointed. I think that that's a pretty fair breakdown of what the 2023 White Sox are all about. Um, I'm interested to see what the Lucas Giolito change back in training does for him. I want to see what his velocity is and what the difference in his velocity is. He can't be a change-up pitcher. He can't be tricking guys now. Well, He's, they're sitting on it now. Right. Like, they're like, right. They, they, your fastball, we can cover that. Yeah, the hitters, You're throwing 91. That, that's what I mean. The hitters broke him. MLB hitters figured him out and jumped all over that, that previously very effective change even up in the zone. One of the first sentences inside of that report is significant. The luxury tax threshold. Which is why I think they will be fighting very hard to not... If if Mike Clevenger if. did something, they will fight very hard to not pay him his money. I think they will fight very hard to get that money back because they're already up against the threshold, and I think that plays a big role in all of this. As for the rest of it, it makes me so mad. I'll have a column out on suntimes.com and in the paper tomorrow about this where I talk about Reinsdorf owning both the Bulls and the White Sox. The second base right field thing has been a thing for years. And they continue to take half measures with it. They continue to choose the least expensive option to do it. And it's not like the White Sox are are honestly really known for developing players. They have players at the major league level that probably still need some development. And they've struggled with that. So I know that people are excited about Oscar Colas, but I'm not. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not either. 
And it's it, they don't need that kind of variance out there. Here's what Chris Getz had to say about Colas. Oscar's season was certainly impressive, playing at three different levels, being productive uh, at each of them, and, and quite honestly, continued to get better at uh, every time he was challenged at a higher level. Oscar... You know, moved on from Winston, went to Birmingham, um, showed very well there, and then got a taste of AAA. Um, he's got really good hands uh, at the plate, certainly has power, has a good arm. He loves to compete, plays passionately. He's got a chance to be an impact, impactful major league player. You know, there's a real aggressiveness to how he plays the game, and he certainly, you know, has the ability to make adjustments at the plate just because of how talented his hands are and, and feel like he's got a chance to, to really help help our major league club soon. What right. sort of things will you guys be, be looking for from him during the spring? You know, just a consistent approach at the plate. Um, you know, he's, you know, he can do some special things from at bat to at bat. Um, but, you know, you've got someone on the mound that, you know, know understands your tendencies. Um, so it's a bit of a cat and mouse game at times. And you understand what he's trying to do and understand what your strengths are as well. And you have to stay disciplined. And he's shown signs of that in the past. We've certainly preached, you know, a consistent approach for him to have, you know, success at the major league level. And we'll see how he takes to that. I know he's worked really hard this offseason. He spent time with Jose Castro, uh, Mike Tozar and Pedro um, and Danny Santin down in Florida. We just saw him recently at a mini camp in Arizona. He's in very good shape. You can tell he's he's really dialed in and excited to to have a productive year. Still right. strikes out too much. And if this if we could get a time machine and we're talking about this version of Oscar Colas three years ago being on your major league roster, I'm with it. I'm with it. But you're supposed this is ideally the end of your championship window. This is when Moncada is supposed to be a five-win player. This is when Luis Robert is supposed to be getting MVP votes. Dan, we were talking about in, inside the piece, was it five two-win players for the White Sox? Is that what Joe said? He said two. Yeah, and guess who they were? Andrews. And? Cueto. There it is. They're not here anymore. Andrews is still unsigned. Yeah, and... Do we know for sure that he would not entertain playing second base? I don't think anybody knows for sure. He's never played an, an inning there. Never played a, a third of an inning there. Ever. The other thing is, after spending 40% of his season here last year, is he like, mm-mm. This is not. That's possible, even with a managerial the, change. But and you shared in the group chat too when they talk about what the work the guys are doing in the off season. Luis Robert is riding around in in Cuba. And he's like, hey, guess what I'm doing in the off season? Baseball activity. I, I'm actually in the cage working on stuff. Like this is new for me. Instead of showing him on his driveway, play, play fighting. It's that's not really boxing. He was I mean, doing. he's learning how to hit the mitts, I he's guess. He's touching the mitts. Kind of. He's not really punching. He's going beep, 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 I beep, just, beep, beep. I'm just sitting there going, no one, who put together his off-season plan the last couple of years? No, well, this is this is new to him. And it was sort of like, hey. I'm doing baseball check, stuff, guys. Check this out. It's not spring training, and I'm, I'm hitting. I'm doing baseball stuff with two hands. And I'm also boxing. Kind of. Kind of. Ish. 
boxing adjacent. That, 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 oh, that's a good name for a podcast. We need to talk again with the Chiefs radio analyst, Danon Hughes. He talked to us before the game, and now he's going to be proud as he talks to us after the game as well. He's next on The Score. Our lives aren't like they used to be. They're busier. Early morning Zooms, grabbing coffee to make that in-office meeting, getting to your kid's soccer game on time. Life is different, and so is advertising. To reach any audience, you need your message out there in all media, broadcast to streaming, on screens, and right to the ears of your customers. And that's what we do at Odyssey. Let's build a media campaign that targets the customers you know and want to reach more of. Right here in our community. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes. Man, Bernstein and Holmes, best show in radio. I love it, boys. Middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score. Just simply the best! Dane and Hughes is going to join us. What's the value of Isaiah Pacheco inside of this offense this year? Oh, it's huge. The attitude that Pacheco brings specifically is exactly what you want in a running back like he runs with a purpose pacheco in the backfield they hand it off left guard it goes touchdown kansas city isaiah pacheco blasting in behind the block of joe tooney the left guard and the chiefs get a badly needed touchdown drive when you are in an offense that's a little bit flash you want to also have that other aspect of your offense where you have a little bit of power A lot of stuff that we talked about last week was on display indeed at the Super Bowl. We mentioned if you listen to this show leading up, you were well prepared to understand and appreciate what was going on in that game. And part of our coverage was that, that interview we did with Dana Hughes, who joins us again. He is on Twitter at DeHughesGuy83, Chiefs radio analyst and former Chiefs wideout is with us on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Good to talk again. Dana must be feeling pretty good after that. What's going on, fellas? Yes, it is lovely in the Chiefs' kingdom. It's going to be like that. Uh, I can't expect I'll be going, I guess, on two straight weeks without much sleep. <laughs> now with the parade coming. So, yeah, this is an epic time to be a Chiefs fan, to be a part of the Chiefs' kingdom, and like we're loving every moment of it. What did you think the difference in the game was? Because Jalen Hurts played great. Yeah, I think there were. So I'd say this, and this is not a slight to the Eagles because I, I am really a big fan of Nick Sirianni. I actually knew him while he was here uh, coaching. His first stint in the NFL was here as a coach in Kansas City. Uh, I felt like we just out-executed them in every phase and every aspect of the game. And although – A.J. Brown made an epic catch. There were uh, absolute dimes that were thrown by Jalen Hurts. Um, But in every situation, down 10 points, there aren't very many teams that know how to come back from behind as efficiently as we do and as consistently as we do. Uh, We've done that the first Super Bowl run. You remember, we were down 24-0 to the Texans in the first quarter. By halftime, we were up 28-24. We went on to the AFC Championship that year, was down double digits in the third quarter uh, to the Tennessee Titans, came back and won that by double digits. This year, we we constantly see that our team knows how to out-execute other teams. 
in the most pressuring situations. So, like, there wasn't anybody freaking out in the booth, on the sidelines. Like, we just like, okay, we're down by 10 points. We've been down this road before. And it came out like gangbusters. You, you, you replayed the clip of Pacheco scoring that touchdown. And, like, we just have something really special here that's more than just the X's and O's the greatness of Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. Like we got rookies and second year guys playing like eight year veterans. Um, And that's the true testament to our team. That's why we are the best team in the NFL right now is because we have guys that have gotten coached up. Um, We got great leadership and we know how to get the job done. What is it about halftime that Andy Reid excels at? Because when we were reading pieces where people around football were saying, you know what, he's going to use that scripted time to figure out what you're doing. And then by the time the third quarter comes around, he's got it figured out and you're in trouble. And then you start to look at the execution in the second half. It was almost flawless by KC. So if you remember a few weeks ago, Peyton Manning and Eli Manning made a big to-do about there not being any, any halftime adjustments, that that was a farce. I disagreed with that. Now, some people will say, well, who am I to disagree with a Hall of Famer, top two quarterback ever to play the game, and another one that will probably be in the Hall of Fame as well, winning Super Bowls? I can tell you whether it's tangibly on a dry erase board or verbally or just mentally – when you have, especially in the halftime, when you have 30 minutes at halftime of the Super Bowl, you have time to make adjustments. Now, that might not be something that was said directly to Patrick or said directly to, from Spagnolo to the defense, but there are things that you've done all week, the last two weeks in preparation, that you saw something. And you tri- it triggered something else. And that's what you went out and did in the second half. It also gets you outside of thinking, oh, oh my gosh, we got to hurry up and score because you're in the emotions of the game. You have 30 minutes to relax and think and go back to your game plan. And that's exactly what the Chiefs did. They were able to regroup and commit to the run game. I think in that first drive, um, we had more runs than passes to get to get a touchdown. The next drive, We had more passes than runs, got a touchdown. We had the ball four times in the second half. We scored every single time. Like, there's something about that halftime that it gives you you pause. It gives you time to just relax and breathe and see, okay, what can we expose that we knew we could expose before? That's the thing. It's not anything like you're recreating anything. It's that we knew all week, all these last two weeks, that they had a tendency to do X, Y, and Z. Oh, guess what? They are doing X, Y, and Z. So let's go ahead and do A, B, and C like we had planned to do, and we'll be able to gash them. And that's what happened. I am impressed by the the Chiefs' ability to maintain their quality while paying a quarterback. And that people say, that, that you know, you got to win before your, your guy gets his money. Well, when you do have the contributions from the rookies playing like veterans, as you describe, that's understanding how to how to develop after you've made that major commitment. It's always that great problem to have. But now their decisions 
to be made with some guys who are coming out of contract or might be ready for extensions. And Bears fans are looking very interesting, interestedly because of the connection that Ryan Poles has to this roster. Who do you think they're going to prioritize to return? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, and it's a tough, tough position to be in. I mean, Brett Veach should be executive of the year, and he should have been so at least two of the last three years. Andy Reid should be coach of the year, and he probably should have been two of the last three years at least. Um, part of the reason why I say that, not because I'm a homer, because I feel there's a part of me that strongly feels that having continued greatness is more impressive than having a flash and a dash really goodness. And that's what you get sometimes when you, you uh, vote for these things or you announce the winners of these things is that you have oh, really a, good, a, a team that was kind of good, really good, versus, okay, what about the great teams that just always stay great? Um, there's something to be said about that. Now, I say all that because, like, around here in Kansas City, we have in Brett Veach we trust because he's, he's gained that, that credibility. And if you come in and you say, we got 10 draft picks, and you know what's going to happen? At the end of the season when you're playing in the Super Bowl, six of your defenders will be rookies on the field at any given time in crucial situations. Uh, eight of your defend, starting defense will be guys that can't, couldn't even earn a pension right now in the NFL. They haven't played long enough. And so now we go into a draft where we'll – likely have 11 draft picks in the draft. So how does that factor into who you keep? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The the salary cap is going up so high that you may try to keep Chris Jones, um, but everybody else besides, like you got Clyde Edwards-Alaire that can be free, Juan Thornhill that can be free, several other guys that signed one-year deals, Juju Smith-Schuster, Carlos Dunlap. Like, I don't think it's really pressing for any of those because you've been so efficient in building a team from the draft that, like, I would not be surprised if anybody is not on this roster. You keep the core of stars, the Travis's and everybody else, and do what you can to keep Chris. But outside of that, like, I would not be surprised. We drafted George Karloftis as the number one pick last year. So, if you like, if you have to let Frank Clark go, I ask him to take a pay cut. Like that's why you draft a first round pick and he was contributing. So I think there's some question marks. I'm sure Chicago will be watching like everyone else, but like in Veach, we trust and it's working so well. Are they going to tag Orlando Brown that's Jr.? That's I was going to ask. That's the big one. And, and I feel, and this may be me. I, he's done a great job. No doubt. Um, he definitely would be another sustained as, uh, a- asset for our team. I just don't know if the way, again, the way this team is constructed, the way we deal with the draft, the way the leadership we have on this team, if that's the amount that you want to allocate to your left tackle. Like, I don't know if that's the, I don't know. But I will say he did everything he could possibly do in all three playoff games to make you think about it twice three times, four times, five times on him getting money because he, he played pretty much outstanding all throughout the postseason. 
Yeah, and and he was good enough. I, I'd love to know did, on the broadcast were you guys talking at all about the field conditions on Sunday? Yeah, I started talking about it in the pregame show. I was watching the defensive backs for the Eagles. They happened to be on our end of the the field, so they were right below me, and I saw them in their shorts and t-shirts just doing backpedal planting drills, and they were slipping. Multiple guys. I was like, and I was telling. The guys on air in our pregame show, I was like, oh, yeah, this, this might be something we got to pay attention to. Uh, it was interesting that Harrison Butker in week one almost tore up his, his ankle kicking off from the same exact place that Elliott almost tore his ankle up uh, at, on Sunday. The same exact place, that's where the slippage was. And I was talking to somebody close to the uh, Cardinals organization after the game, uh, and they mentioned that because you slide that field out and then slide it back in, we we all know that it doesn't have the conventional rooting system, the roots. Mm-hmm. And because it doesn't have those that rooting system, you have to water it more. Maybe it's a little bit more moist than it probably should be. And that contributes, both of those factors contribute into why it's so slick. Because it was slick back in week one. And even though George Toma and the Toma family came out there and made it look beautiful, there's something about the structure of it that probably makes it more slick than it really needs to be. Thank goodness nobody got hurt. Dana, you mentioned the parade that's upcoming. It's one of my my favorite traditions when Kansas City wins a championship, whether it's been the Royals or whether it's been the Chiefs, the traffic jams of people trying to get into the city because of – the, the lack of a network of public transportation of trains out to the suburbs, et cetera. I know you've got the little the light rail streetcars and some of that stuff, but why can't you why can't somebody actually make it easier for people to get downtown for these things? Well, it's easier for people today because they're already staking their claim to places today and it's <laughs> raining here. It's fifty degrees. It's pouring down for the rest of the day. It's supposed to be beautiful tomorrow, 50 degrees, sunny, but there are people already starting down there. So it's going to be crazy. They're expecting a million people. I think they said we had a million people approximately in the, the, the Super Bowl a couple of years or a few years ago. And it was like frigid. It was like minus degrees out there. And there was still a million people out there. So I'd imagine it being about 50 degrees warmer, it's going to be bananas. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, this, but this place is so spread out. It's kind of like Arizona. It's kind of like Phoenix, where it's so spread out, where I don't know if you public transportation would accommodate everybody like they need it to be. I think there's going to be people parking along the highways and everything. It's going to be nuts. Dane, and we really appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for jumping on with us and, and giving us all this incredible information. No problem. Let me finally say this also. The obnoxious Philadelphia Eagles fans. I didn't want to say it during the game or before the game, but, bro, let me tell you, I played in the AFC West with the Raiders, Broncos. I've been to Buffalo where they can be obnoxious. But I don't know if I've experienced any more obnoxious fans than the Philadelphia Eagles fans. And I'm a Jersey kid. So I, I know I know that that world. But the, they were coming and accosting us at the Waste at Management Open, anywhere we saw them in Old Town, tapping on my wife's shoulder while we're trying to watch golf and 
you know, telling us to go home and all this stuff. No, nothing belligerent, but just obnoxious. So I'm glad they got sent home in their obnoxious state. And um, <laughs> took the L. I'm just, Hold that I, just feel, L. I just feel like I need to say that. They took the L in many ways, but that was the greatest one. And then also about the, the turnover, I mean, I'm saying the uh, penalty on Bradbury, you can't do that. I'm a former wide receiver. Does, even though television and freeze frame and all that crap, slow motion makes it look like it's not egregious, from a wide receiver standpoint, I can tell you that slight movements, especially grabbing of the hips or pulling on the jersey, they break your stride, it breaks your gait, and people say those plays were called, those plays were not called all game long. Absolutely, they weren't called all game long because they didn't happen all game long. They happened there. And I tweeted it out. I said, for anybody that wants to say the all game long garbage, send me four or five times where the where a receiver was held downfield on a vertical route and the ball was thrown to him and it was overthrown. If you can show me those, then I'll, then I'll, I'll jump off of my, my, my pedestal. But there wasn't. There wasn't. Throwing a vertical route that goes over the head of the receiver while he was impeded by being touched, grabbed, pulled on the hips is a penalty. And I would have said the same thing had it been in reverse by the Chiefs. So all the fans – all the Twitter experts and all the knuckleheads, you know, take the L, tip your cap. It was a well-played game, well-called game, and the Chiefs are Super Bowl champions. There you go. This has been the airing of Dana Hughes' grievances <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on the Bernstein at Home show. Get it off your chest, man. I want to. I want to hear all. If you got stuff on Chinese spy balloons, if you got stuff on, on the flavor of Oreos you don't like, now is the time. The price of eggs, whatever it takes, Dana. We're gonna do a weekly segment with something a, a Hughes rant. I'll, I'll come up with a more creative name. Oreos, do the chocolate Oreos, even though the golden Oreos are excellent. And here's another side bit. It's a delicacy. Cold applesauce with Oreo cookies is an amazing delicacy. Late night snack. Take it from me. There you go. I got it. Hughes views. There it is. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do it. Damon, thank you. Hi, guys. That is former Chiefs whiteout. And And another thing. Let me tell you another thing about these Eagles fans up in here. Man, cold applesauce and Oreos. I can see that. Okay. I mean, I do cold applesauce and peanut butter every morning. Really? Delicious. Man. Not cold peanut butter like, you know, Dion Cole talks about. That's different. Cold applesauce and peanut butter. I do like good applesauce. The, the, the tart Granny Smith applesauce. Mm-hmm. But no, no, my mom's applesauce is the best. My mom's that and strawberry rhubarb. Wait, 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 wait. Your mom makes her own applesauce? Used to. I don't, I, I don't know the last time she did it, but she makes a killer. Killer. It was a family tradition. In the fall, we'd go apple picking. We'd go up to Wakanda or wherever it was, and we'd apple pick. Forever. And, and we would bring back bushels of, of apples, and she knew exactly which kind she wanted. I think it was... Jonathan's, I think, was the one she wanted, and and, and, she, and she would make it. Oh, she had a big, big stew pot and heat it up, and then chill it down. I, and I, I liked it not quite cold, cold because you could taste it when it's super cold, but not you know not room temperature, just kind of chilled. Hey man, you know, for, for someone with Crohn's, like applesauce is a key component to the diet. So 
Wherever I can get good applesauce, I'm here for it. Applesauce was always a sick food for us. It was when you were sick, we were allowed to have bananas, rice, applesauce, and toast. And toast. It's the brat diet. Yeah, yeah. That's what a lot of people yeah. with with any sort of IBD. That's usually you restart everything with that. That's what we had. That and Canada Dry ginger ale. That's the, a black people thing. That that Canada Dry ginger ale is what that if if I have a sip of it now, I feel like I'm watching the prices right because I'm home from school. Me and Afia were at the Bulls game last week, and we were talking about. I was like, man, I haven't had ginger ale. Like we were sitting there drinking ginger ale, and I was like, man, this is. This is very black. What's happening right now? Really, see, I, We're sitting here drinking ginger ale. No, that's that. That would be too. And like at a grown-up event, if you were the kid at the cocktail party, yeah. that's what you would drink. Yeah, may, maybe you put a little bit of uh, like grenadine in there. Yeah, yeah, grenadine, and you got yourself a cherry, and you're good to go. You get a kitty cocktail going. But I, I, the difference between I, there aren't a lot of things where I'm super brand loyal. But if I'm going to drink ginger ale. It's going to be Canada Dry or bust because everything. Not Schweppes. No, and not Verner's is just like drinking, drinking yeah. varnish. That's yeah. that's another thing altogether. But everything else is sort of a pale impersonator. It was, it was a big deal. Jimmy Connors used to do ads for Canada Dry. That's Drake now. Is it? No, that's just what oh. <laughs> Common, Common nicknamed him, Canada Dry. Oh, okay. Shout out to Common. Oh, people on the Twitch. It's not just a black thing. I like ginger ale, too. Okay. Okay. You're allowed. If you can find black Twitter, just <laughs> go down the rabbit hole about black people and ginger. And 708 apparently works at the jewel on Clybourne. What is applesauce? <laughs> telling you. Where is it at? I don't know what you're talking about. Applesauce? Apples? No. no applesauce. I, I don't know what that is. It's 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 like crushed apples in a jar. You know, like Mott's apple? Nope. I got the Mott's. I got the Mott's. What you he got? Didn't, he didn't. He had no no concept of it. Usually in the canned fruits aisle. That's exactly where it is because it's the, you know you know what it's kind of the primary <laughs> thing the that primary holds canned fruit. I mean, that, you can get your canned pineapple and, uh-huh. and other stuff, but really, what's taking up all that shelf space? It's the applesauce. I yep. should have walked him over and and you know, eventually we'll, you're you're going to wander around with me until we find it. And then I'm going to show and it. That, to and you. then I'm going to show it to you. And I'm gonna he's going to be your world. He's going to be amazed because there's all sorts of different types of applesauce uh-huh. too. Uh-huh. There's the cinnamon. There's yeah. the unsweetened. There's the strawberry. You could do all sorts of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> this is Dana Hughes doing a great who you crapping. <laughs> he he oh was ready today. Yep. I want him to go on Philly radio. And say it with yes, his chest. you're right. It's one thing to do it on Chicago radio to rip Philadelphia fans. It's another thing. We should send that to, to WIP. <laughs> yes, we, we should. We should absolutely tattle on him. No, snitch tag him. No, let's not. No, no. Okay, fine. I want Dana to come back on the show. Let's talk about why uh, Seiya Suzuki is in the best shape of his life and put on 20 pounds of muscle. I like it. Okay. Next on the score. Hi guys. Bernstein and Holmes middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score. At some point, we're going to do that Trey Mancini segment. I mean, it is. I mean, we're there. You know, pitchers and catchers are reporting tomorrow. We should probably do that. Seiya Suzuki's in really good shape. He's huge. Just Marquis posted a video. I retweeted it, and I don't know what he's been been eating. It looks like a lot of lean protein. Arr. And he maybe they just said they got to get 30 home runs out of him this year, but he is a moose. Although, based on people mad at me yesterday or, or 
accusing me of not being able to differentiate between a beaver and a muskrat. Maybe I don't know what a moose looks like anymore either. <laughs> maybe maybe you think I confuse a moose with a possum. Stupid bastards. Well, is it, is it, sorry, Dan. But, <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt that, whatever you were doing there. Whatever that thought. That, but, that radio gold. Seriously. Want to step on that. <laughs> to say a Suzuki, po- th- that point, because he's coming in massive, right? He, he's got a lot of body mass right now. Is it because you're coming in with the idea that you're going to lose the weight and then you're going to try to maintain throughout the season? Is that the idea of putting on the weight? Sure. Because I don't think there's, I don't think that's realistic for him to keep that size Throughout the year, maybe after the schedule because it's a little bit more than what he was used to. Maybe he's like, "All right, I lost twelve pounds throughout the season. Let me let me put on fifteen pounds of muscle so that I don't deteriorate." Or maybe he's like, "Hey, you know what? I, I need to hit some bombs." Well, I can't imagine him maintaining the weightlifting regiment that he's been on. When like maybe in the off season he spent more time lifting. I will say it looks range of motion changing. It really does. Yeah, that he's put on enough. Yeah, that- I, I don't want to say he's muscle bound because he's the one who does doing all the stretching and, the, and throwing and knows his body. But just from the look of it, it looks like the kind of weight that could affect the way you move. You know who we should ask about that? Who? Kendall Gill. Oh, yeah. I got another thing to ask him about, too. By the way, there's a little bit of breaking bulls news here. Darnell Mayberry of The Athletics says DeMar DeRozan's MRI has shown a grade one thigh strain, according to Billy Donovan. Okay. Okay. So he's fine. Okay. Seems like they don't know, though, when their guys are injured, if they're fine or not. Let's talk some bulls with Kendall Gill next on the score.